Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. This week we're joined by Tom Harrison. Hello! Thanks for having me. I like to start from the very beginning. How did you first get involved with tabletop RPGs? I got into tabletop board games before RPGs. The first real, like, modern board game I played uh, was in, I think, sophomore year of college. That would be 2009. And it was uh, Battlestar Galactica, the board game. And we played it sort of as, like, a novelty. Like, can you believe there's a Battlestar Galactica game that's so complicated? Ha ha. What a fun goof. But it turned out that we all loved it. It remains one of our favorite games, one of my favorite games. Uh, And just that opened up the world of tabletop gaming to me. Uh, And eventually it led to tabletop gaming. The first actual tabletop RPG I played was 4th edition D&D, which was a campaign that lasted about two sessions because no one liked the system. Uh, But then we tried 5th edition when it came out, and I took to that much, much more uh, easily. And since then, I've just been playing tabletop RPGs, having a great time. Are you currently in an ongoing campaign as a player? No. Um, the last time I was a player was with um, a friend of mine who was DMing for the first time, and he was using one of the 5th edition pre-made adventure books. I think it was Princes of the Apocalypse. The adventure was mostly just go into a bunch of bases and do a dungeon crawl. Uh, and that's just not, it wasn't the, that group's style. We wanted like to talk to people and unravel the story. And the book's just like, nah, go into a dungeon. And he he didn't really have the time. He was a, he's extremely busy with work, so he didn't have the time to like uh, amend the system that much. So he just sort of abandoned that campaign and... Since then, I've been exclusively GMing, just because if I don't, the games won't happen. Who was your first character in 5th edition? My first character was Tasha Amakir, a elven, high elf, illusion wizard, um, whose whole deal was just that she loved, she loved to party. She wanted to have a good time. She thought adventuring ruled was fun, and her whole motivation was just to enjoy being a a dope-ass wizard who has magic powers. I feel like there's a lot of characters that are tortured and and dark and have, like, uh, tortured pasts and dark... I'm saying tortured and dark over and over. But I just wanted a character that was just like, I love being a wizard. Being a wizard kicks ass. Look at my great illusion. This is amazing. And I just had a lot of fun playing as her. Did you start off GMing in 5th edition as well? Uh, Yeah. The first game I GMed, because we were still in the midst of that campaign I was talking about, and the Curse of Strahd book was coming out, and I'm like, oh, that would be a good first shot DMing, because it seemed, and it was being reviewed as a much more uh, open and sandboxy adventure, and whenever we would discuss the sessions after... The, the Princes of the Apocalypse sessions, we would just talk about, like, it feels like there's not a lot of choice. Like, the, the only thing to do is bust the base. Uh, and so I was hearing about this new book, and I'm very interested in how they were talking about there's a lot of chances to, you know, do things out of order, to uh, solve problems through diplomacy and social interaction. 
And so I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. I'll do that. And uh, got that book. And I also started to watch, I think uh, Chris Perkins was doing it on YouTube, a playthrough of that. And watching him DM it was a huge inspiration and influence to me because I was just seeing how he would change and adapt the scenarios to specifically tailored to the characters and who they were and what their stories were, what their strengths and weaknesses was. And the way he did that so well and so it just fits so naturally. And I'm like, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. And so, yeah, we did the Curse of Strahd campaign. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was... The book has just enough in it that, as a first-time GM, I can, like, have a structure to stick with. But there's so much room for creativity, and I loved to sort of fill in the gaps. And that's what's what spurred me to want to do this more. Uh, with enjoying a more open-world sandbox-type setting... Do you want the players to still work towards the end goal of the story? Or are you willing to immediately go off the beaten path and wherever they end up, they end up? That's a good question. I think I feel as long as they're making like a good faith effort to engage with the world and the story we're telling, I'll let my players do pretty much anything they want. If they're like trying to goof on the story and do something like completely different, like if they were to in in Curse of Strahd to say like we don't want to kill Strahd, we're gonna start up a farm. It's like well that's not that's not the story we're telling, and and we know and you know that. Like if you want to if you want to do like a, a farm management game, then sure we'll do that. But this is a this is a stuck in vampire world game. Like in in Curse of Strahd, there's like the big city. And the book tells you who the major players are, what their goals are. You know how a book is. And I was running this campaign with two different groups. And both of them pretty much immediately just blew the status quo up so that none of that applied. And it was incredible. I was so glad that they both did it. Not just because it was interesting for me to like, because I know I've read this book, I know all the things and to be so surprised, but also it forces me to like come up with something new, think on my feet, what, what would happen to these carriages? What would they do? And in that sense, them going off the beaten path. I love it. I want it to happen very much. But also I think that my players know that it's not just like a, a goofy sandbox. It's also a story, and they know what kind of story it is. We've all agreed what kind of story we want to tell with these characters. And I trust them to not betray that. Since you're in the position of being the GM, uh, partly out of necessity, how do you feel the cost should be divided, or if it should be divided, for people that want to get a game going? Just like the financial cost of, of the materials? Uh, for example, if players want to play a certain game and you're willing to GM it, do you feel that the GM should be responsible for buying the book? Do you think it should be a group 
purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, ideally, it would be a group purchase, and that's what I've I've been lucky enough to have players that are down with that. But I also understand that inertia is a powerful thing, and if if I just needed to make it happen, I could definitely see myself just eating the cost. And then later on, bringing up like, "Hey guys, just so you know, there were some startup costs. If you want, if you want to not get guilted, pass me a little, pass me a little one fifth of the one fifth of the cost." But fortunately, I haven't had to do that. Have you also managed to avoid getting excited for a system, having people say they were excited, so you go ahead and buy the book, and then it just fell apart? Not yet. I I actually am not super. Like I was listening to some of your old episodes, and the some of the people this blew me away with the wealth and breadth of knowledge they had about uh, these RPG systems. Like I, I'm feeling a little imposter syndrome because I haven't actually dived into too many. But yeah, the, all the other systems that I've I've played have been either free or. Uh, like fan made so i haven't actually had to put down the money for anything other than fifth edition which luckily people were willing to chip in for have you started looking into other systems now that you are starting the podcast shuffle quest uh i have but by necessity uh based on the the premise of the show most of them are not (laughs) what I would call good systems. So if uh, I'll just get into the premise right now. Uh, it is a campaign podcast, the, the twist being the player characters are native to the, uni- the fictional universe of Dungeons & Dragons and are uh, kidnapped and pressed into service to solve uh, problems throughout the fictional multiverse. And they are basically taken to different fictional universes told there's a problem here solve it and they being that they are from D&D world they don't know what it is like the first arc is men in black and none of the characters are like oh men in black i remember that movie they're like what's going on why are there aliens and guns now and the systems we use are the systems for those worlds so for the men in black world we're using the men in black rpg so when I'm searching for systems, my first priority is not, is this a good system? Is this a system that I want to use? Is this a system that's going to be conducive to good storytelling? It's, is this a system that's based on an existing fictional property? And part of the fun of the show, I think, is the fact that some of these systems are not super well thought out. And some of them are so old that their mechanics are dated and have been left behind by so many better more updated systems since then so not only is there the the you know the discord of these fantasy trope characters being thrown into these crazy pop culture worlds that are very much not what they're used to but also us as players are brushing up against the limitations of these systems like the men in black rpg is as far as i can tell a very a very minor reskin of uh, the D6 generic system, which is fine, but having played 5th edition and having like, looked into uh, the Powered by Apocalypse systems, which we're going to reskin in 
uh, future arcs, you can definitely see the the seams and where it's not quite up to scratch with uh, what's what's popular now. How did you come to the decision to go with the Men in Black RPG out of the gate? The way that the idea came to be for the show was Joe Anderson, who is a cast member on the show, he plays the human fighter Ruddy Dayton. He just like messaged me one day and told me about uh, his his friend Mike likes to go thrift store diving and find curios, and he told me that he had gotten a hold of a Men in Black RPG book. Isn't it funny that that system exists? And I'm like, it is funny. And he uh, he was like, we should play it one day. And I'm like, we should. And then like a switch flipped in my head, and I'm like, you know what we should do is have a long-form campaign podcast where your characters go between different fictional universes and play, and play the RPG systems corresponding to those fictional universes. And uh, basically, from that moment until now, I have been full steam ahead on this show. And we decided to go with the initial idea of Men in Black for the first arc because I think it's a good entry point because it's sort of a world that everyone's familiar with but no one loves enough that they'll get mad if we make fun of it one of the rules of the podcast is there's nothing there's not there's never going to be a world that's currently really cool and popular because we don't want to sound like we're uh making fun of something that people like deeply love men in black i think is a movie that everyone has fond memories of but would also be uh, be fine to hear someone poke fun of how everything's chrome and weird and uh, the aliens don't really make a lot of sense. And also, it's mostly, aside from the aliens and chrome guns, it's mostly like the real world. And I feel like that's an accessible place for people to start. A lot of, uh, I know a lot of people who are wary of listening to RPG podcasts because... D&D has a ton of like fantasy lore built in that could be a barrier to entry to people who aren't into that kind of thing. But Men in Black is like, oh, it's the world, you know, like you live in, but with aliens from that movie you like. And I feel like that's a good place to start. And then after they're used to the show, used to the premise and used to the characters, that's when we can start going to weird places. Do you have a short list of games that you don't want to play to avoid upsetting people we certainly are not going to do star wars both because that's done to death i mean and i don't mean that in a bad way it's done to death because it's great and because the people who do it do make good product and that makes people want to do it themselves but yeah star wars is just too big and too too loved uh star trek also i feel like as fun as it would be and as much potential is there, like, I, like I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I would hate, I would hate to see it <laughs> be be disrespected by the goofy characters coming up and messing everything up. Aside from that, I feel like anything that's like anything that's deeply beloved, like with a like a big fandom, like I don't think I would ever want to do like because uh, I know this was requested by some of the cast members, I don't think I'm ever going to do, like, Steven Universe, because that show, especially to me, is so, like, emotionally powerful and and meaningful. 
and I don't want to like make it crude or goofy because that's not what it's about. I want to I want to set the show in worlds that can sort of handle being jangled around and goofed with without it feeling like I'm making fun of the people for whom this property means something. Can you give us a bit of background info on the characters in Shuffle Quest? Certainly. So um, I mentioned Ruddy Dayton. Uh, he's a human fighter, and his his backstory is basically that he is just a professional adventurer who loves going on quests. Like, he'll talk about how just any time a, a guy comes up to him and is like, hey, do you want to, like, retrieve a magic chalice from a cave? He's like, hell yeah. I love getting chalices. Uh, and his, when he's not being uh, an adventurer, he runs a traveling, uh, better living through magic items show called the Relic Revelry, where he goes from town to town with a cart of magic items and shows people how they can improve their lives. Uh, this is based pretty much wholesale on tool time from Home Improvement. Relic Revelry Tool Time, very close analogs. He's basically just a, a kind-hearted guy, loves going on quests, loves magic items, loves treasure, very trusting, very willing to do whatever a dude tells him to do because it's a quest. And as a result, on the show, he's the most... sort. He's the happiest with what's happening because you know what's happening is they have been kidnapped and forced to work for someone else and can't go home until they do what he says uh and he is kind of fine with it because he's like oh at least i'm getting to do quests he's the most D D tropey of the characters he likes he is the source of sort of all of our jokes about uh the tropes of fantasy like in episode three no in episode four uh, he tells a bedtime story to a, a goblin npc about how one time he went on a quest to get 15 owlbear beaks for a guy who asked him for them. <laughs> and the story is just how he went and found an owlbear and killed it and got its beak and then did it 15 more times. Just as a goof on MMORPG fetch quests. One of the other main characters is Omi Heck. She is uh, essentially a fantasy Mormon. Uh, the person who plays her, Gwyn Fulcher, uh, she grew up in the Mormon faith and is sort of using Omi as a way to poke fun at and sort of pay homage to that. She is a follower of Elohim, which is what uh, the, the fantasy Mormons are called in this world. And she has, I don't want to spoil it because it's going to be parsed out through the plot, but she has a troubled history with them and is sort of on the run. Uh, right now, she's just looking for a way to find herself. Her weapon of choice is a pair of brass knuckles and... She has the priesthood of her faith, meaning that if she does a good deed, she, for 24 hours, basically gains the paladin laying on hands power uh, to, to heal magically. So because of that, she is sort of the heart of the group. She's always looking for ways to do good deeds. She's always looking for ways to connect with the NPCs and sort of empathize with them in a real way, which is always good to have. And the final character is uh, Tarek Noor, Named, of course, after uh, the Cardassian name for Deep Space Nine. And he is a uh, knowledge paladin who 
is by far the least happy to be in the group. I, we did an episode zero sort of to test our chemistry and also to uh, release later as a bonus episode, basically how our heroes first met. And his intention the whole time was to do this quest he got uh, asked to do with these two strangers and then immediately leave. Because his uh, whole motivation is he's out to collect knowledge because he's a knowledge paladin. He works for the god of knowledge. He needs to collect knowledge. But when he got kidnapped and pressed into service, he's very much not into it. He is sort of the Han Solo of the group in the sense that he he brings the resistance to like the status quo. He's the one calling out the assumptions that are being made. Uh, he's the one who's sort of annoyed about the what he's being pressed to do. The person who plays him, Cody Melcher, is, uh, of the four of us who are on the show, the by far the most accomplished as a, as a uh, comedy writer and comedian. He's a professional stand-up comic. He has a weird books podcast called Tome Foolery that is by far one of my favorite shows, just bar none. I actually listened to that show before I met him in real life. So his, like quick with his ability to like improvise jokes and funny situations and like take his character in goofy uh directions paired with his character's sort of skepticism and unhappiness with the whole situation he finds himself in uh leads him to have a lot of great great moments and also introduces chaos sort of to the to the uh to the campaign because omi and ruddy if they had their way they would just put their heads down and do the quest. Ruddy because he loves quest, and Omi because it's kind to do a quest that someone asked you to do, and she wants to be kind to people. Whereas Tarek is much more likely to be like, I don't want to do this. This is stupid. And in doing so, sort of uh, acts as the wild card and takes the story in directions I didn't foresee, which is always, again, always welcome. Were the characters conceived by the individual player separately, or was there any kind of guidance from you or a group setting where you developed the characters? Initially, I made sort of a questionnaire that I made on Google Drive and sent out to everyone. And I do this every time I uh, start a campaign, where the questionnaire just sort of asks vague, open-ended questions that can be interpreted a lot of ways questions like what do you want and why would i why should i tom be excited to guide a story with you as the main character what would be an ideal day for you what do you want people to think of you just things that force the character force the players to think about their characters as more than just a trope and a backstory but actually as people and so i gave that to them and said fill this out do whatever you want with it just fill this out to the best of your ability, go into as much detail as you want. And then we had our episode zero, which was sort of the test run where we shared our characters with each other, or rather they shared their characters with each other, talk through like who they were, how they would interact, what they wouldn't, wouldn't like about each other. And then in that episode zero, which was just like, it was, it was a very standard, they're in a, ta a D&D &D tavern, someone asks them, oh, there's monsters in the temple, 
and our town can't go worship at the temple now and then they go and kill all the monsters very much just a like let's let's test out the bog standard rpg dungeon dungeon dive and see if we have a uh, uh, chemistry as a group and i really felt good about how they embodied their characters how they made them seem sort of real and how they interacted with each other and became a begrudging little adventuring band, but definitely one that uh, works together, has a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different personality quirks that, when you put them together, makes some fun situations. And how did you come to have the players in your game that you have? Joe Anderson, the person who plays Ruddy, uh, he's a good friend of mine and also a great comedy writer. I met him when he wanted to be on uh, a live comedy show that I run every month called The Skewer, uh, which is a news satire show. Uh, and he was just like, hey, I heard about this show. Can I be on it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yes, please do. Uh, and I really enjoyed his writing and his sense of humor. And so we've, uh, we became friends. And he, since he was the one who brought the Men in Black RPG system to my attention and thus sparked me to create this show, I off- I obviously offered him, if he wanted, a role as a player, and he took it, uh, and I'm glad he did. I needed to find someone who, one, was funny, I knew would be funny uh, consistently and creative, but also would take the RPG system and the game seriously. Like, I know a lot of comics who I know are extremely whip-smart, hilarious people, but I don't trust them to not be like, ha-ha, I'm playing an RPG. Isn't this weird? Isn't this goofy? I'm such a nerd. And I'm like, that's not that's not what we want. I want respect for the game, even as we're goofing in the game. So my mind immediately went to Cody Melcher for guest number two because I love his comedy, and also I know that he has a very long history playing RPG games. He's been playing for the longest of any of us, uh, by far the most experienced. So I knew that he would have the commitment to the game and also have the skills it took to make the show fun, funny, and uh, listenable. And then I was thinking, like, who could who could be person number three? And I emailed Gwyn, who plays, uh, who plays Omi, because I had asked her to play D&D with me previously, before the show, and she said she didn't have the time, and she had never played one of those games before, so she was intimidated. And I emailed her asking if she knew of anyone who would be good for this show. And since... I'm like, and, you know, I know that you're not experienced with these kind of games. I know you, you said you were intimidated by them before. So I just want to know if you know anyone who would be good for it. And to my surprise, she was like, this premise sounds amazing. Can I be on it? And I immediately said yes, because she's also one of my favorite writers. She's a writer. She's an actress. She is very fun and talented. One of my One of my most favorite people and i was not expecting her to be want to be on the show and she has definitely proven herself as a fantastic player if anyone ever feels intimidated about getting into rpgs and 
how how can I know how to be a good player? I think Gwyn is a perfect case study for like you can go in with no experience and be great. You just have to like if you put in a good faith effort to be a character and make decisions, no matter what, it's going to turn out fantastic. As far as the recordings go, do you do multiple episodes in one sitting, or is each episode its own gathering? For the most part, each episode is its own individual gathering, but we have uh, had sessions where we do more than one. My ideal recording would be on sort of a weekend afternoon, like Saturday or Sunday starting at 2, where we would knock out two episodes and be done by, like, 7. But unfortunately... With four uh, people, with with three cast members, uh, GM, and then also the fifth person involved is Adam Goran, our uh, audio engineer, who owns the microphones, knows how to edit in Pro Tools, and makes it sound professional. So getting five people to have an entire free weekend afternoon on the same day is nearly impossible. So we've only done that once because we want to get a, uh, as much of a backlog of episodes as possible there were a few occasions where we tried to stuff in more than one episode on a week uh, weekday night which is usually when we record and we did that on july 3rd because uh july 4th was of course holiday none of us none of us had worked the next day so we could be up late and we decided to try to do three episodes and yeah uh, we're not going to do that again, because by the end of the third one, we were wiped out, like completely out of gas. No no jokes left in us, just running on fumes to get to the last one. We actually had to uh, end up re-recording the last scene because it was just so, so limp. So I think from now on, we're going to be doing just one episode at a time to avoid avoid too much burnout. Is the length of each episode something that you try to keep to a certain time limit? Yeah, ideally it's an hour because, I mean, even even me myself who loves podcasts, loves to, loves to listen to them all day at work, a podcast that's over an hour is, is a little tough to get through. And I'm, I'm very guilty of making podcasts that are over an hour. And when I do, I always feel guilty. So I'm trying to keep it close to an hour as possible if it has to go over i want it to go over as little as possible hopefully we never get to 90 minutes unless it's like a big a big turning point plot episode far in the future uh one of the episodes in the second arc that we recorded ended up so long that we're gonna have to cut it in half just because it's too it's too much to get through in one sitting so it's actually gonna end up being two episodes well, the old saying is that a GM always has a plan until the players start playing. Yeah. <laughs> what was the first curveball that your players threw you? Oh, goodness. <laughs> For the first arc, I had... Uh, I'm not going to say it all because the first arc is not fully uh, released yet. But I had the stories outlined, just the skeleton of the story all worked out in my head. I knew what was happening what the conflict was, who the major players were, you know, what they wanted, what they were currently trying to do, what they knew and, you know, how they related to each other. Just the whole the whole the whole story. And I was 
uh, I left enough vague and uh, subject to change to react to the characters. What I expected they would do is when they get to the world of Men in Black, this world that they know nothing about, I expected them to sort of investigate it, try to find out, like, what is this place? What's going on? What are the stakes? Uh, <laughs> and what they ended up doing was uh, all deciding sort of spontaneously, independent of each other, but all of them decided we all need to act like we belong here. So none of them asked very many clarifying questions. So it took a lot longer than I uh, expected to actually reveal the stakes of the story. Like, what they're actually doing is they've been given sort of rookie work to find a Men in Black registered alien who, like, missed his probation meeting. And the the twist is that missing alien is connected more than they know to a much larger crisis that the Men in Black agency as a whole is going through. What they never did was ask what the crisis is. Luckily, we sort of made made a joke out of that and made it work as, like, a comedy bit. But it definitely put it in my mind, like, make sure that, like, make sure that there is a way, even if the characters don't uh, ask clarifying questions, that the listener can understand in every arc what is the stake and what is what are the stakes, what is the conflict, and what's going on. Because, yeah, I was I was panicking at first, being like, oh, gosh, the listener has no idea why what these characters are doing is important. Uh, but luckily, I think it, it, it worked out for the best. The Men in Black arc, I think, is super fun, and we've been getting a good response so far. When they go to a different setting... Do you plan on having there be a story through from episode one all the way to the current episode? Or could somebody listen to a different settings campaign and not be completely lost? We've done two arcs so far. So I don't think uh, there's not a ton of data there to be sure of. But I think ideally each arc is going to be fairly standalone at least until the the finale where like the campaign plot wraps up there is a overarching plot that stretches over all of the places they're gonna go basically to sum it up in the vaguest sense there is a reason why so many of these fictional universes are having issues and the overall campaign plot involves them finding out more about that and reacting to it but I hope that each arc is self-contained enough that if you know the characters and you know the premise of the show, basically that they're going from world to world solving problems, that each one will be easy to sort of digest as its own thing. But as the campaign plot develops, uh, as you say, there's no, no way to plan 100% how these stories are going to go. The characters are always going to react in ways that you could never have foreseen. So, I mean, they might, it might stop being a sort of vague, distant threat, and they might just sort of blunder into it. And then that's what's happening now. We'll have to see. Hopefully, though, at least for the bulk of the series, I should hope that the arcs are self-contained enough to be 
enjoyed as they are. Between recording sessions, what kind of preparation do you do? I edit the the plot structure and, you know, the events that are going to happen based on the actions of the of the crew because obviously they are going to affect change in and it's not always the change that I thought would happen. So I sort of uh edit where the story's going, what all the NPCs want and are doing. And I sort of plot out a series of beats that I want to occur. And these, I, I never get too specific about these because again, you, if you make them specific, they won't happen. But just like plot beats, like I want Ruddy to experience this feeling. I want Tarek to talk to this character and the character to tell him this piece of information. I want them to encounter these people who are going to want this thing. Just sort of a series of beats that, no matter how they play out, just that series of beats is going to create uh, a self-contained episode that tells a bit of the story and has its own identity. And I've taken to sharing these beats with the players, which I, I know that like if I was DMing this as just for fun with with some buds, I wouldn't do that. I would shudder to think of doing that because I don't want to spoil what's going to happen. But... I've noticed that there have been a lot of times where I've had to edit out sort of fluff in the episodes where they're just kind of dithering, you know, goofing amongst themselves, not saying or doing anything of any importance to the plot. And it's funny, but uh, just to keep it as close to an hour as possible and to keep the pace up for, you know, the listeners who aren't at the table and having the fun with us, I wanted to just keep the keep the pace streamlined, keep every scene meaningful. So I tell the players beforehand, like what beats are going to happen. Again, I keep them very vague. So they don't, they can't like script out their response, but at least they know the kind of situations they should expect themselves to be in. Uh, and also I ask them every, every episode, are there any beats? Are there any character moments? Is there any character development are there any conversations that you want to happen for your character? Because they are always going to be able to develop their characters better than I can. I can give them situations that force them to contend with their personalities, their strengths, their weaknesses, their pasts. But all I can do is offer them the opportunity. And so I think by openly asking them, like, what do you want for your character? it makes them think about that. It makes them think about what is my character feeling? What are they thinking? What opportunities do they have to grow here? And it's very easy to just not think of those things and just have your character be a series of tropes or like a funny voice or just you. <laughs> but I want to keep them thinking about where their characters are going narratively. And by sh making them answer those questions, I think it's really paid dividends. When they're trying to answer those questions, as the GM, do you feel that it is imperative that you always give a yes and response? Or are you of the mind that sometimes as the GM, no is an okay answer? That's a, that is a good question. 
again, I think my, my answer is it would be different depending on the context of the context of the game. I feel like if this was a game between friends and the direction they wanted for their character was again, made in good faith. It was something they truly believe their character should do. Uh, it, it isn't like an idealized, like my characters kick ass and the best and perfect and has no flaws. If it's a real good faith request that makes sense and fits the story we're telling, I'm always going to say yes to that. But in this show, one of the main like rules in our show constitution is that it's a show, not a game. So while we are playing an RPG and we're following the rules and it is actual play, there are going to be decisions made that hurt the experience of the game for the sake of the experience of the show. And I think that's one of those areas where if they're going to make a decision for their character that will sort of harm the group dynamic or harm the, the pace and flow of the show, I'll sort of take a pause, tell them my concerns and we'll all work together to figure out how we can make what they want to happen work for both them and the show. I don't think there have been any major instances of that occurring, except Tarek Noor, Cody's character, initially was a little uh, too skeptical about what was happening to him. And like in, he, he explained that his character has reason to be antagonistic against Olmec, the giant stone head that presses their characters into service. He has reason to be antagonistic about Olmec. He has reason to not believe anything he says, and he has reason to interrupt him and not listen to him. And I had to say, like, that's true, but it's not fun for a listener to hear a character who's saying no to plot. You can't just be like, this is like, I don't want to hear this exposition because I don't believe it. You cannot believe the exposition, but the listener still has to have a chance to hear it. And that was one of the, one of the instances where I had to say no and work with the group to sort of massage what they wanted for their characters into something that works as an, sort of an audio drama. We're going to start wrapping up. But before we do, I'm going to ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire, pioneered by Bernal Pivo. Okay. What is your favorite word? Oh, goodness. It's probably ooze. Any particular reason? It is extremely funny to say. I do, <laughs> I do like freelance uh, comedy writing for a, uh, an uh, Onion knockoff site. And what my by far my favorite piece of writing on that is Top Thanksgiving Oozes, where I talk about all of the dishes in a traditional Thanksgiving that could be considered an ooze, and something like 15% of all the words in that article are variations on ooze, and just I read it out loud to myself sometimes, just when I need to pick me up, just something about the word ooze. The fact that there are two two initial O's, I just can't deal. It's so funny. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? I think a little. Just because it's often used 
in very vague and undescriptive ways. And also, I just don't like the two T's in the middle. And especially since, like, American English makes them D's and it sort of muddles into little. But then if you say it, if you say it enunciating the T's, then you just sound crazy. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Honestly, kindness and compassion. One of my favorite movies, and I know that a lot of people hate it, uh, is Cloud Atlas. And the reason being is that like it's basically three hours of, of convoluted nonsense, all of which is in service of the message, it's good to be kind to other people even when it doesn't matter. And that's something that like has resonated with me throughout my life. And that's also something that I want, I want to keep in mind when I'm being creative and writing stories and writing these scenarios. Like I want, I want the characters to like the NPCs they meet. I want the NPCs they meet to like, honestly want good things. They want things to be better because I don't know. There's enough people who are just cruel. I don't need to make up more. What turns you off? Mm. I think like it just ed edginess for the sake of it. That's sort of the flip side of what I was just saying. But like, uh, when you need to like put a woman in peril because it's edgy to talk about domestic violence, it's like, yeah, I guess it is. But are you really saying something about it, or are you just reveling in how edgy you are? Is it just is it just you having fun going to the place you know you're not supposed to go and and giggling that you got away with it? I just find a lot of that edgy stuff in I find it disingenuous, like you're not actually saying this because this is a story that needs telling or is saying something interesting. You're saying this because you think it's illicit and that just, I hate that. What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players? Oh, I mean, it feels boring to say fuck, but goodness, it's, it is a, it is a, a very effective sound. <laughs> What's the last thing you did in shuffle quest to get that reaction? Um, the name and appearance of the big villain in arc two. Uh, in terms of the world, their name and appearance was in line with the rules and the traditions of it. But they were deeply surprised and frustrated with it, what I told them. Uh, gosh. And I feel bad teasing that because that episode won't come out until, like, late November. What sound or noise do you love? Ooh. Uh, ooh. The, the, teeny, the teeny little meow of a kitten. When they're going like, me, me. You know how it is. When they're just, when they can't even say meow yet and they're just going me, that is... I can watch videos of that and have watched videos of that for hours. What sound or noise do you hate? 
uh, my adult cat yowling uh, for attention, just like sounding like a some kind of drunk wolf, just sort of like whoa. Especially considering that she will do that for mm, half hour at a time. What game system would you like to attempt? The one I'm most looking forward to, and am actually I'm locked in. This is is going to happen. Uh, is there's going to be a I'm going to reskin to fit a world uh, apocalypse world because and I know that like that there's already a ton of reskins of that like dungeon world and and all the powered by the apocalypse stuff, but one because this world doesn't have a system and or at least not one that I could find and I really want to do it and also just because every time I read about uh, the, the apocalypse world system every time I see the rules every time I hear people playing it on an actual play podcast it's just so much what I want out of an RPG which is like decisions actions consequences and character moments what I don't what I've always not liked and like one of the things that one of the reasons that when we first started playing fourth edition, it fell apart was like, I don't care about combat. Like I care about combat in the sense that it is a crucible for characters to act in the way that makes sense to them and be creative against a conflict. I don't want to play a war game while I'm doing a role playing game. And I know that there's, I mean, war games have a huge following for a reason. They scratch a very particular gaming itch. It's just, I don't, yeah, I I don't know why that, I don't know why war war game type tactics and role-playing game storytelling have to be so connected. And I really like what that system does to sort of streamline it. What game system would you not like to attempt? Uh, the one we did in ARC 2. I cannot see it getting worse than that. It was a momentum killer like nothing else. Like, one of the things we do when we finish an ARC is record a bonus episode where we review the system. Uh, and that was an extremely cathartic experience because every one of us was just like, that was a fun arc character and story wise, but in terms of us, the players playing this game, it just killed us. It, I feel, I feel bad that I have to speak in such general terms, but it's so, so deep mired in these numbers and they're numbers that are so like, they're all so absurdly inflated and just to no real end other than to say you did a thousand damage and be like, awesome, that's a huge number. But like in order to get there, you had to make like five dice rolls and check your like stamina level and update a bunch of numbers. And it's just, uh, it's just not what I'm looking for at all. In the future, if you feel like a system is killing momentum, would you find an excuse to move on to another system or would you see it through that arc? Um, well, I think hmm, that's a good question. 
I think this the second one has sort of given me a lot of what not to do lessons. One of which is uh, vet vet the systems a little more. Like I when I was reading up on it and and learning the system, I was like, oh man, this is really this is really outdated and kind of sounds terrible. That'll be funny. I'll, uh, it'll be a great it'll be a great goof to do. I don't think I'm going to make that same mistake again. If I see a system is that bad, I'll be like, okay, maybe maybe skip this one. And I think what we might end up doing is just sort of ignoring some of the more tedious rules. I don't think the listener is going to be that mad at us if we uh, don't follow the rules to the letter, especially when it's really it's really hitting us hard. When your game concludes, what would you like to hear from your players? I want to hear that they were surprised by the story and each other, and that they want to play again soon. Like, like one of the things I was worried about at the beginning was like, I hope this never turns into an obligation. And... I hope they always want to come back, not because they want to keep the show going, not because, you know, they feel like they have to, but that every time they enjoy it anew, because that's how I feel every time I play a game with these people. And really, any time I've played an RPG game, yeah, I just want people to have a good time and want to keep doing it. And finally... If you could travel back in time to watch one person sneeze, who would it be? Uh, am I like a passive observer? Like, like, am I like an eye in the sky? Am I standing there in the room? Uh, you will be a passive observer. You can watch from above or in the same room. Okay. Goodness. Who would I watch sneeze? I'm going to be super boring and break out my English degree bona fides and just say Shakespeare because, I don't know, Shakespeare's real good. (laughs) He's cool. I want to see him in real life. Also, England back then sounds interesting. I'm going to peek over his shoulder to find out if he really wrote those or not. Oh, he definitely did. That's a fu- the the conspiracy theory was invented by a by a mentally ill woman with the last name of Bacon who stood around and was like, "Yes, my ancestor Francis Bacon was here, and she wasn't actually even related to him, and she just wrote a book because wh- anyone can." And people were like, "This is fine. I believe it." Nah, he wrote him. <laughs> is there anywhere the insiders can find out more about you? Uh, yeah, I have a website that has all of my shows and writing. It's TomHarrison.com. Tom spelled T-A-W-M, uh, Harrison, H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N, TomHarrison.com. I also am on Twitter at TomHarrison19. In that instance, Tom is spelled the normal way. Uh, I also... <laughs> host and produce the monthly news satire show the skewer as i mentioned previously uh it 
uh, it's the first Wednesday of every month in Chicago, but it's also a podcast on all podcast platforms. And I also host the bi-weekly pop culture podcast, You Don't Understand, which, uh, again, is... I mean, you're listening to a podcast now, listener. You know where to get them. It's on the same place as this. Thanks for joining us in the studio today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Make sure to give ShuffleQuest a listen. I've powered through the first four episodes and learned a lot about Whitewater and the Globalist Conspiracy, and now I'm kind of sad that I have to wait for the next episode to drop. You can follow this show on Twitter at ITMS underscore podcast, or send us an email inside the master's studio at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can send a message either way. Every GM has a story worth telling, and I'd like to help you tell it. Inside the master's studio is an audio entropy original, you can head over to audioentropy.com for more podcasts like Transmission Radio, a podcast of amateur anecdotal advice from Molly, Jules, and Ashley, three trans girls. They talk about the various parts about being trans, from dealing with societal expectations to hair tips. There's plenty of goofs to make sure it doesn't get too serious. Also check out Warren Beast, a Beast Wars rewatch hosted by Greg, Kendall, Emily, and Jordan and BakaCast. Every week, a bunch of pretentious wise guys sit around and review the latest anime. Sometimes it all ends up making sense, but sometimes it doesn't. If you follow Audio Entropy on Twitter, there is a pinned tweet with a link to the Audio Entropy Discord, where you can interact with the community, and sometimes the hosts stop by as well. I've been your host, Moon Rules, and remember, the system you use is a tool to craft the story your group is trying to build. As the GM, you can bend and warp a system to do just about anything you need it to. But sometimes the wise move is to find a more appropriate tool for the job. Love writing the backstory for your tabletop game characters just as much as the adventure? Ooh, yes I do. How about creating fun, kick-ass, and inclusive characters? Oh, I like that. If you answered yes, then check out All My Fantasy Children, a tabletop character creation podcast hosted by me, Aaron Catano, and my best friend, Jeff Stormer. How cute. Together, with our powers combined, we create a new character every single week with the help of listener-submitted prompts and a variety of cool tabletop games. But where can I find it? Find All My Fantasy Children on SoundCloud, iTunes, Android Play, and on Twitter at AMFC underscore podcast.